Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Ruger, surprising you with new topics every single week and jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC information, news, fights, all sorts of good stuff. We're back with another banger episode, a new week. It is Monday, October 9th. Wow, already nine days into October, been over a week since my birthday. Being 21 feels so different than 20. Not not at all. I'm being very sarcastic. But it's just kind of funny. It's just like in a two weeks' time, I've just gone from not being able to go out and have beverages wherever I want to being able to do that. And it's pretty crazy. I had a pretty good weekend. Lots of fun. Watched a lot of football, which is something we're going to be talking about on today's show. We're going to be going over week five of the NFL. I am aware the Packers and Raiders play tonight. But w- by the time you guys most likely listen to this, that game will be over, and we'll, uh, we're going to cover all the other uh, matchups that went down. We're also going to be giving a review going over um, everything that went down at UFC Vegas 80 between Grant Dawson and Bobby Green in the main event. Going to be going over a surprise topic. We're going to be staying on this assassination conspiracy route for just a little little blip on uh, two people we'll talk about later on. I'll leave that for the rest of the episode. And we're also going to be previewing the final, the season finale of Dana White's Contender Series. Episode 10 goes down tomorrow, Tuesday, October 10th. And as always, going to be going over some new UFC fight news and all sorts of surprising things. But yeah, I had a pretty good weekend. I went up to the University of uh, Minnesota for the game on Saturday, the Gophers played Michigan and got absolutely destroyed. 52 to 10 was not even a competition. I mean, I had fun though. I, I was I was having some drinks, having some food, just enjoying life, man, with my folks on my girlfriend. It was a fun time. But if you're a Gophers fan, I'm not really a Gophers fan, even though I was like wearing some Gopher merch. But it, it was pretty tough for them. But uh, Michigan, absolute powerhouse, number two in the country for college football. As for Minnesota, I think they're three and three now. Yeah, PJ Fleck might have to go if I'm being honest. But um, some new UFC news been dropping this weekend and even today. Figured I'd cover some of the bigger ones, starting off with uh, the November fourth card. That is going to be UFC Sao Paulo in Brazil. The main event was supposed to be number five heavyweight Curtis Blades versus number nine heavyweight Halton Almeida. Halton is now 6-0 and in the UFC. He has 19 wins, 19 finishes. Absolute Beast was supposed to get a top five matchup. Curtis Blades is out of that. I do not know why. I believe injury, but I don't think they've officially released the reason. Number 10, Derek Lewis, as right, the Black Beast, the heavyweight leader in knockouts for UFC history, will be stepping up to take on Halton Almeida in Sao Paulo in the main event. Thank you, Derek, stepping in on a month's notice to take on this just absolute crazy prospect. All kudos to you. Also on that November 4th card, number, um, actually not ranked, actually. Somehow, this is a middleweight matchup between Kyle Barallo, 4-0 in the UFC, absolute killer, only has one loss to his name. This this is a prospect you want to keep your um, uh, eyes on, ears on. Keep you keep just be aware of Kyle Barallo, absolute beast. He was supposed to take on this guy named Ruzatan Borsekov. I don't know, he's some six foot six, absolute massive guy. He pulled out due to injury. Abus Magomedov will be stepping in on a month's short notice as well um, to take on Kyle Barallo. Abus, most notable, he uh, recently uh, lost the main event 
to Sean Strickland. And he was actually the first fighter I ever picked in a main event officially on this podcast, and he lost. So uh, I doubt I'll be picking him to beat Kyle Barallo because Kyle is super talented. Coming up uh, soon, UFC 294, Ikram Alikaserov was supposed to take on number 12-ranked middleweight Nazardin Imovov. Nazardin has unfortunately pulled out of that due to injury. Gosh, he just can't catch a break. Who knows when Nazardin will fight next. Walray Alves is stepping in. He last won the Ultimate Fighter, um, the third Ultimate Fighter. It was like Ultimate Fair Brazil or something. I have no idea. He hasn't fought in the UFC in almost nine years, eight years or something. Seven years, it's been a crazy long time. He steps in a short notice to take on the absolute killer that is Ikram Alikaserov. Ikram only has one loss to his professional record, and that is to Hamzat Chemaev. So this guy is super talented. And also on a uh, less big news, but a very good fight you should keep your eyes on, that January 13th card in 2024, the first card of the year, going to be going down at the UFC Apex. I believe that'll be probably UFC Vegas 85 or something who knows 83 84 we'll see but number 12 ranked bantamweight ricky simone come about coming off of his main event loss to song Yedong will be taking on mario bautista who's riding a five fight win streak into that one that'll be a very good bantamweight matchup there but yes lots of big fights come being announced a lot of big updates and um yeah i actually saw that uh on a smaller level, Randy Brown versus Muslim Salikov was just added to UFC 296. Those are two talented, unranked middleweights. Loser will probably go home in that one. A must win for both of those guys. But UFC 296 looking absolutely stacked. 295, 294. Coming up soon, actually, UFC 294 is, gosh, I think it's 12 days away now. It is coming up. Charles Oliveira, Islam Makhachev, the rematch. I am looking forward to that one. Time is going by pretty fast. I actually have to work on um, figuring out where I live next year. I do have an option to live with some people I know in a house, but I have to get back to them ASAP. So it's one of those, do I wait out and see if I get another opportunity, or do I take this pretty decent opportunity I have now? One of those situations where you just kind of got to prey on it, linger on it, and see what happens. Um, also, before we get into Dana White's Contender Series, shout out to my roommate, Seth's flag football team at the Minnesota State Mankato. Uh, they are fourth in Schlong, I think is their name. Very unique name. They won their quarterfinals matchup and will be going to the semifinals matchup to win the championship. So good for them. You know, I always love giving little shout outs on here because I'm not a big platform, but I always enjoy spreading a message. I mean, while we're doing shout outs, follow my company. I'm doing through um, this program at college here at Minnesota State Mankato. Evergrowing Co. It's through the IBE Integrated Business Experience. We're selling sweatshirts. We have a great message on the back. All profits will be going to this charity called My Place. Or, um, my Youth? I, th I think it's called My Place. I think we were confused for a time, but I believe it's My Place. It's in Mankato. It helps underprivileged kids and stuff. Very good stuff. I'll get a sh Shopify set up, and I can put that in the bio for the Instagram or something. But, yeah, I figured I might as well mention that. While I'm on here talking about uh, all sorts of sports things, but yes, um, trying to I think we're gonna talk about Dana's contender series right now because I haven't really I think it's been like two or three episodes since I last gave like a full breakdown of all the fighters and stuff, gave my official picks. But yeah, it's crazy. It's been a good season. Um, my Tuesday night's gonna be more wide open because I won't be watching the shows, but uh, I will miss it because I do love seeing fights on days other than Saturdays. 
But, uh, you know, that's just how it is. You know, not every show can keep going. But, I mean, hey, speaking of shows, actually, to, to, to completely go off topic, Gen V, the boy spinoff show, episode four dropped. Me and my uh, roommate watched it. Super good. Very, oh, my gosh, just so vulgar. I, no parent should watch that. It is a very, very vulgar show, but so hilarious. I love it. Um, but back to back to the main thing that I was going to talk about. That's right, Dana West Contender Series, episode 10. We get six fights for the final episode, the big shebang. And I uh, can't wait to watch it. I'm going to be going down tomorrow at 7, 7 o'clock, Tuesday, October 10th, if I'm doing my days correctly, which I believe so. So let's get into it. Let's go over the fights. It should be a good night. And we've had some really good moments on this series. I feel like we should do a – I'm actually going to write that down as we speak, uh, reviewing just uh, season seven. Yeah, season seven of uh, Dana White's Contender Series, maybe next week after this episode has completely aired and we've given out all our thoughts. Because on the next episode, I'll review all the fights that went down. But as for now, we got six fights. We got to break them down. Let me tell you about these 12 prospects who will be fighting. And they all made weight. So like, you always love to see when the fighters are making weight. Because I just never understand. Your job is to make weight and you can't do it. It's like it's like just accepting you're not going to make enough money or even get a shot at times. It's it's interesting, but I can't judge because I'm not a fighter. Kicking off our six-fight card, we have a bantamweight matchup between Davey the Black Bittencourt and Lucas Fenomeno Rocha. Very interesting. Davey, 14-3. and three. Lucas is 16-1. and one. Wow. Davey, 5'5". Five five. Lucas is 5'3". An inch in reach for Davey, 65 inches to 64. And both fighters fight orthodox. Davey, 28 years old, fights out of Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Of his 14-3 and three record, he's currently on a 10-fight winning streak. It's been a while since Davey last, uh, last lost. But man, he's been doing good. Six KOs and six submissions to his name. This guy is talented, ladies and gentlemen. He is very talented. The Black, what a nickname. Very unique nickname. Kind of goes with Bittencourt of sorts. Kind of gives me pirate vibes, you know. Maybe I'm thinking of some pirate, but that's just how I view it. His opponent, Lucas Rocha, 23 years old. He was born in 2000, August 12th to be exact. From Amazonas, Brazil, he is currently on a five-fight win streak and of his 16 victories, nine by knockout, four by submission. This is a very um, very interesting matchup, I'll say. I was torn on who I was going to pick because you have Davey on a 10-fight win streak, but you have Lucas, who's younger than him. I mean, more finishes, only on a five-fight win streak, but some just telling me that Lucas Phenomeno is going to get it done. So we're going to ride with Lucas um. Lucas Rocha, his nickname is Phenomeno. And I'll say just by decision, because I don't really want to put all my eggs in one basket, if you know what I mean, and go with a finish this early, because usually I pick finishes all the time. So we'll throw out a decision here. This should be a competitive matchup, and don't sleep on Davey Bittencourt. Don't sleep on Lucas Rocha. This should be a good way to kick off the night. Keeping us rolling in the lightweight division next up, we have Marquel Medeiros taking on Issa Determinator, Isakov. Isa Determinator Isakov. Love that name. Marquel, 7 and 1 professionally. Isa is 10 and 2. An inch in height for uh, Marquel, 10 to 5'9. An inch in reach for Isa, 70 inches to 69. And they both fight orthodox. 
Marquel, 26 years of age, fighting out of Colorado, the United States, currently on a five-fight winning streak. He um, actually trains with um, Anthony Smith, Brandon Royval, Dustin Jacoby, some notable light heavyweights, and Anthony and Just and um, Dustin Jacoby and Brandon Royval. I mean, he's fighting for the flyweight belt coming up in uh, December against uh, Alexander Pantoja. Yes. Um, as for Isa, ten and two, the Determinator. He's thirty-three years old. He was actually born in Russia, but currently fights out of Belgium. And I know I have some Belgium listeners, so I hope you guys are listening to uh, this, and I hope that you root for Isa. Isa Kov. I mean, Isa, four-fight win streak currently, six KOs and two submissions of his ten victories. I'm riding with Isa for this one. I just like his name, man. Isa Isakov sounds really dope. Sounds very, very manly, if you will. And uh, honestly. I like his style, man. These Russian fighters, they moving out to Belgium and stuff. He's also got a little win streak going. But Marquel will not be easy for him. Seven years younger, trains with some legends, some title challengers. Also on a five-fight win streak. And, um, by the way, of his seven victories for Marquel, five by knockout. So it should be a competitive fight. But I'm personally going with Isa Isakov. And we're going we're gonna to go with a round one submission just because I like to be ballsy. But hey, we'll see how it goes. Rolling on to the middleweight division where we have Yuri, the Russian polar bear, Pantherov. I love that name. As he takes on Torres, the Punisher, Finney. Wow, just some amazing nicknames for this card. Yuri is 6-0, oh, the Russian polar bear. Stands three inches taller than, oh wow, wow actually, Six foot one to five eight. You're looking at a five inch reach advantage for Yuri over the also six and zero oh, Torres the Punisher Finay Torre, um, five inch five foot eight. Yuri six foot one, but three inches in uh, reach for Torres. So what he lacks in height, he has in reach. If you know what I'm talking about, ladies. Both fighters are orthodox. Um, Yuri twenty seven years old. Torres is twenty four. Torres actually um, trains out of Tennessee of his six victories. Five have been by knockout. Fight uh, trains out of the same gym, Goge Combatant, with Trevor Peak. Trevor Peak, a notable lightweight in the UFC. Some good knockouts, some good fights. He's always entertaining. As for Yuri, I mean, of his six professional victories, one by knockout, five by sub. He is a submission machine. The Russian polar bear really reminds me of Sergey uh, Spivak. Another fellow uh, UFC uh, Russian fighter who has a polar bear tattooed on his chest. So we're going to ride with Yuri in this one. And obviously, if he has five submission victories of his six victories, you know we got to go with a round two submission. Actually, we'll go round one. Round one for the Russian polar bear, just because just cause I like to be ballsy sometimes. And Man, this should be a good one. Torres, more of a striker. Yuri, more of a grappler. Always a nice mix when they get in the octagon. I don't know how it's going to go. Both these guys are talented, but uh, yeah, should be a good one. We're riding with Yuri Panfirov, the Russian polar bear. Okay. I love that nickname. I really do. Next up, featherweight division, we have Connor the Controller Matthews taking on Jair Chosen Farijas. Ooh. Connor is six, um, six and one. Jair ten and zero. Three inches in height for Jair. Five eleven to five eight, and six inches in reach. Seventy seven to seventy one. A switch stance for Connor Matthews. A orthodox stance for Jair Farias. Whenever I hear Connor Matthews, I keep thinking of Connor McDavid for some reason from the NHL, and I just know that's not the case. But I just think it's funny. 
Connor, 31 years old. He is coming off a one win, but this is not his first time on the Contender Series. He was on last season, um, season six, episode two, where he lost to Francis Marshall by unanimous decision. Francis Marshall, um, one and two in the UFC, I believe, is uh, was unfortunately knocked out in round one in August, but I mean, Francis beat him. Out grappled him, so clearly, but Connor Connor is more of a striker. We'll say, I mean, but um, surprisingly, one knockout and five submissions for him. He actually um, fights at the same gym in Massachusetts where he is from, with Rob Font and Calvin Cater at New England Cartel. So a very notable gym for Car Matthews, Calvin Cater, Rob Font, both main eventers, both top guys in the featherweight and bantamweight divisions. Um, or K- Calvin's in the top 10 in featherweight. Rob is top 10 in bantamweight. So Connor trains with some good guys, but Jair Fajera's chosen. His nickname is chosen. He's 30 years old, fights out of Sao Paulo, Brazil, of his 10-0 and record, seven by knockout, two by submission. I don't know what's going down in this matchup, but I'm sorry, Connor. I know I really sh- I feel like I should go with you, but I'm going to go with the undefeated 10-0 and Jair Fajera's. I mean, he's just too good. I'm going to say this goes the distance. Just to just to spice it up a bit with a little distance fight here, but hey, man, I don't know. Jair, he's undefeated, but Connor only has one loss, and that's to a guy who is UFC caliber, if you will. Should be a banger of a fight. And honestly, I don't know if Connor's much of a striker. I mean, he was listed down as a boxer, but I mean, only one knockout, and you have five submissions, so maybe he is more of a grappler. We'll see what goes down Tuesday to determine if he is. In our co-main, not actually the co-main, but the second to last fight of the night. We get a flyweight matchup between Rickson the King Zanidum and Andre Mascote Lima. Wowza, what an interesting matchup here. Rickson is 14 and 1, Andre is 6 and 0, undefeated. Both are 5 foot 7 and both have a 67 inch reach and both fight orthodox and by if you can guess it they're both 24 years old. Did we just find two fighters with the exact same build? That's in Incredible. Let's start out with Rickson the King. I mean, he's from Piranha, Brazil. Two knockouts and ten submissions of his 14 fights. He is only he is um coming off of one win. So I mean, he suffered his first professional defeat two fights ago. We'll see if that impacts his confidence. But I mean, gosh, of he, he wow he five for si- five. I'm trying to do some math in my head, but I mean. Way over 50% of his wins are by submission. So this guy's a submission expert. His opponent, Andre Mascote Lima, fights out of Sao Paulo, Brazil. And of his six victories, five by knockout. We have a clashing of styles. These two are eerily similar. It's actually quite... I mean, this will actually mess you guys up even more, just to give you some perspective, is that Rickson was born February 17th, 1999, Andre was born February 14th, 1999. They are separated oh, by just mere days. The same height, same reach, same country, same month they were born in, same year they were born in. This is anyone's fight, but I'm going to go with Rickson by round two submission. We'll say round two for Rickson. I mean, when you have 10 subs to your name of your 14 wins, I got to go with you, but don't sleep on 6-0 and oh on Dre Lima. Five KOs, only 24 years of age. Should be a good one. And let's get into our main event is one of the more interesting fights. Not officially the main event, but the final fight of the night. A bantamweight matchup between Ramon the Savage Taveras and 
I hope you guys are ready for this because I'm not making this up. This is his name. Cortavius, are you not entertained Romeos? I'm not going to say a word on what type of guy this is, but man, these two are also very similar. Ramon is 8 and 2, Cortavius 7 and 1. 5 foot 8 for Ramon, 5 foot 4 for Cortavius. 70 inch reach compared to a 68 inch reach in favor of Ramon Taveras. Both fight Southpaw. And both were actually born in uh, January of 1994, separated by three days, January 6th for Cortavius, January 9th for Ramon. Very interesting. Um, let's start off with Cortavius. Are you not entertained, Romeos? I freaking love his name. He's 29 years old, 7-1 of his seven victories, two by knockout, four by submission. Currently on a little three-fight win streak. He fights out of St. Louis, Missouri. Super entertaining uh, last name. Clearly, he's got some power in those hands and knows how to submit some people. Shout out to uh, St. Louis. That's who he'll be repping. His opponent, Ramon Taveras, 29 years old, as well as I mentioned. He's 8-2. and two. Um, Fights at the same gym, Bulldog Boxing, as UFC fighter and former NFL player Austin Lane. Um, that is the man who my mother knows his cousin. Shout out, Curtis. Um, unfortunately, Austin was knocked out last time out against Justin Taffa, but I mean, Justin Taffa has some power in those hands. But Austin Lane is a very notable fighter um, to be uh, training with for Ramon Tavares. And of Ramon's eight victories, four by knockout, three by submission, another finishing machine. This is actually Ramon's second time on the Contender Series and second time on the season. He was on episode five of season seven, where he fought Serhei Sadeh and got knocked out in two and a half minutes. But it was an early stoppage by the ref. I can't remember what ref it was. Was it, um, if it was Keith Peterson, I swear. It was probably Keith Peterson. <laughs> Keith Peterson always be stopping fights early. But uh, Dana decided to give him another shot. This opportunity came up to Ramon Tavares. It was fate. He was able to do this again. And, you know, when the universe sends you a sign, you got to receive it. And the sign was sent that Ramon Tavares should get one more shot in the octagon. And I've... I'm torn on this one, boys. I'm torn because Ramon Taveras looks super good. All right, looks super good. He got dropped by Serhei. It was an early stoppage. But there's just something, man, about Cortavius Ramones with the last name. Are you not entertained? That just makes me want to pick a man. I don't know. I don't know who to pick. This would probably be a very competitive fight. But, you know, I, I'll, I'm going to go with Cortavius just because of your nickname. Are you not entertained? But Ramon his second time on this season, I wish him nothing but the best. I honestly, have, I honestly have like no, I don't bet. I don't bet on these. I just make my own predictions. I put them on Verdict MMA. Follow me, ZR2002. Uh, but, uh, you know, if I'm not betting, I mean, I guess I have no stake. But I still enjoy when I predict a fight and I get it correct. There's just something about pred pr predicting a matchup or an event and being right. Even if you have no stake, it gives you a sense of sense of happiness, sense of sense of goodness for the day. But yeah, Ramon and Cortavius, I love it. The Savage versus Are You Not Entertained? I mean, are we going to see some gladiator kicks or something? Is Gerald Butler going to come up here? Is that the actor? No, it's not the actor. Or was it? I can't remember. It doesn't matter. But yeah, let's go over um, Lucas Rocha versus Davey Bittencourt. We're going we're gonna to ride with Lucas in that one, the 23-year-old who's 16-1. and one. Marquel Medeiros versus Isa Isakova. We're riding with Isa Isakova. He's from Belgium. I got Belgium listeners. You know I got a rep. Middleweight matchup between Yuri Panferov and Torres Finney. I mean, Yuri Panferov, 6-0, the Russian polar bear, 100% finish rate. You know I'm riding with Yuri. 
Connor Matthews versus Jair Ferreras should be a competitive matchup. Good luck to Connor for his second time on the Contender Series, but we're going with the 10-0 chosen Jair Ferreras. In the second-to-last fight of the night at Flyweight, we have Rickson, Zanidim, and Andre Lima, the early similar two fighters. I got to go with Rickson of his 14 victories, 10 by submission. The submission man got to ride with him. And Ramon Tavares versus Cortavius Romeos. Got to go with Are You Not Entertained? Cortavius Romeos, rep in St. Louis, Missouri. Bring back a football team for them. I love it. Should be a super fun, um, super, super fun Tuesday evening watching it. I don't know if I'll end up watching all the fights i probably will i always say like i'm not gonna but i feel like i feel like i always end up doing it so we'll probably check those out but uh yeah let me know what you guys think are gonna win and um man it was a good season and without a doubt i did write it down on my giant whiteboard that we'll do a end of season review maybe go over some of the best finishes of season seven i mean it's 10 oh, 10 weeks i mean that's probably it's easily 50 fights right there, isn't it? 50 fights. Gosh, how many fighters? That's a lot of work, a lot of work, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Moving on from um, UFC to what's honestly a recurring thing. I mean, this isn't a football podcast. This is, I suppose, an anything goes podcast, but we always bring up the NFL. It's NFL season. I am an NFL avid watcher. I always enjoy it. And week five was, I don't know if it's enjoyable, but I mean, I had fun watching the games. But I mean, it was certainly shocking. Some shocking results in week five of the NFL. But yeah, let's not waste any more time. Let's go over some of the fantasy performances and how we did on our predictions and just how every game went in general from Thursday to, yeah, Sunday. I guess Monday night's game will uh, to, to be continued. To be to, We'll see how uh, it goes. I mean... Who am I rocking with? Am I, I picked the Packers tonight. You know what? I'm changing. I'm changing my pick. I'm not picking the Packers tonight. I officially, I officially have changed my prediction on the family pick sheet to go with the Raiders because I just do not want to pick the Packers. The Packers are my enemy, man. Packers are Vikings' worst enemy, and we'll get to the Vikings in a bit. But yeah, as for my picks. I mean, gosh, I I go five for. Oh, I only had five correct out of. How many games? How many games went down? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Holy cow, boys. I'm pretty sure I went five for a four? Five for five for eight. I, out of the thirteen games, I only predicted five right. That is atrocious. That's absolutely terrible, personally. I mean what games did I even get right? I predicted that the Saints would win. They absolutely blew out the Patriots. I predicted the Lions to win. Dolphins, Eagles, and 49ers. Okay, let's let's get into the actual games because this oh, that's, I'm just I've just embarrassed myself, you know. And even for fantasy, I mean, I'm probably going one and three this week in my four leagues. So let's uh, let's start off with a divisional um a friend, divisional opponent, if you will, my uh, family's favorite team, the Chicago Bears, get their first win of the 2023 to 2024 season. They blow out the Commanders 40-20, to 20, but man, DJ Moore, 49 fantasy points, 8 catches, 230 yards, and 3 touchdowns. DJ Moore, have a day, stand up. And I mean, Justin Fields, 282 yards, 4 touchdowns. He even ran for 57 yards, dropping 32.98 fantasy points in PPR leagues. And Cairo Santos, the kicker, 17 points, good for him. As for the Commanders, you know, despite losing Sam Howell, popping off for 25 fantasy points, 
two touchdowns and interception. I mean, he did throw for 388 yards, which I'll give him credit for. Uh, Logan Thomas, the tight end for the Commanders, given his all nine receptions, 77 yards and a touchdown. Even Curtis Samuel, six catches, 65 yards, a touchdown to get 18.5 fantasy points. You know what? The Commanders had a rough day, but got to give it to the Bears, man. You know, congratulations. You guys got it done. R.I.P. to um, uh, Dick Buckus, I believe it was, who passed away. And the Bears now no longer a winless team. Good for them. But I don't think anyone's predicting them to win this game. That's no shot. It's usually those games when no one's predicting a team to win, that they get it done. So good job, the Chicago Bears. But we get you next week, and let me just let me just tell you something. The Vikings are going to destroy the Bears. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this, all right? We're coming out with revenge. We're here to win, and we'll get to the Vikings in a bit, okay? Kicking off our Sunday slate, we had the Jaguars and the Bills at Tottenham Stadium in London over in the old U.K., and the Jaguars win 25 to 20. I couldn't believe it. I cannot believe it that the the Jaguars beat the Bills. I mean, the NFL makes no sense. Travis Etienne, 36.4 fantasy points. He was on my bench in my six-man All-Star League. I don't even want to talk about it. 26 rushes, 136 yards, two touchdowns. He even caught four passes for 48 yards. He was doing it all. And hey, Calvin Ridley, he got 20 fantasy points. He caught um, uh, six balls for 78 yards. And uh, who else was the top form for them? Trevor Lawrence, I suppose. Been kind of lackluster. I mean, he did throw for 315 yards and a touchdown. Did run for 31 yards. But man, the okay, the Bills, you know, despite losing, Stephon Diggs, eight receptions, 121 yards and a touchdown. Gabe Davis, six receptions, 100 yards and a touchdown. Giving it their all. I mean, Josh Allen, 359 yards through the air, throwing for two touchdowns and a pick. And even ran in a touchdown for um, uh, four, four carries, 14 yards. So wasn't really getting done uh, in the running game, but uh, through the passing game, just torched the Jaguars' backfield. But in the end, the Jaguars stand tall. Jaguars now 3-2 and two atop the AFC South, tied atop the AFC South, but officially ahead of the Colts, I believe. As for the Bills, I mean, this is shocking fashion. The Bills are now number two behind the Dolphins. They're 3-2. and two. And, you know, they have 159 points for, 80 points against. This team's not that bad despite losing this week. Plus, this was technically an away game for them because the Jaguars seem to always do good in London. A lot of Jaguars fans in London. I've noticed that over the last couple of years. Heading into our 12 o'clock slate, we had the Titans and the Colts. And the Colts get it done, man. I could not believe it. Zach Moss having another career day. 33.5 fantasy points. 23 rushes, 165 yards for two touchdowns. My goodness, he even caught two balls for 30 yards. Joshua Down, six receptions, 97 yards, leads the receiving department. But Anthony Richardson, man, 98 yards passing. I mean, he had two carries for five yards, but then got hurt again. Anthony Richardson, so in injury prone, but so much potential. But Gardner Minshew came in the game, threw for 155 yards, got it done for the Colts. Titans, though, I mean, Ryan Tannehill, 264 yards and interception, really needs to step up. But DeAndre Hopkins, 22 fantasy points, eight receptions, 140 yards. He was getting it done. I'll tell you who didn't get it done and who is getting benched next week is Derrick Henry. I can't, I, he's just so hit or miss. I need someone reliable. Derrick Henry's definitely getting benched in the six man all star league. But oh well. Good for the Colts, though. Colts now tied with the Jaguars atop the AFC South at three and two. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought this Colts team was going to be good? Honestly, we probably should have all. 
And the biggest blowout of the week, wowza. The Saints blow out the Patriots 34-0. to zero. Holy cow, the Saints D gets 22 points. Alvin Kamara, 18.7 fantasy points. Get done. Oh, 22 fantasy points for the Saints D. I should correct myself. Kamara rushes for 80 yards and a touchdown and even caught three balls for 17 yards. It was actually Michael Thomas leading the day with 65 yards on four catches. Derek Carr, 183 yards and two touchdowns, was doing his stuff. Good win for the Saints. Much needed, especially if you want to pull out in this NFC South. They're now 3-2 and two, tied for the top of the NFC uh, South. But uh, the, the Buccaneers are officially ahead at 3-1. and one. But Buccaneers, Falcons, and Saints all have three wins, so I'd consider them all tied. <laughs> we'll get to the bottom of the NFC South later on. We'll talk about the, oh, the Patriots. Patriots giving up 34 points. Absolutely disastrous. There's points for is 55 points against 131. A terrible ratio. Might even be the worst offense in the league. They're 1-4, bottom of the AFC East, and are tied for the worst AFC West team. Just terrible playing from them. I mean, the top fantasy player was Ezekiel Elliott with 7.8 points. Just awful. Mac Jones, 110 yards, two picks, gets benched. Bailey Zappi comes in, gets three completions for 22 yards. Nothing in the rushing department. Deceiving-wise, I mean, Kendrick Bourne had two catches for 43 yards. Just Patriots are in shambles. That's all I'll say. And we'll move on to one of the bigger upsets of the week as the Steelers beat the Ravens 17-10. to Shout out to my roommate. I've been bringing him up a lot, but his Steelers get it done. Got to give it to him, man. They beat the Ravens. Ravens only putting up 10 points. Oh, my gosh. What is wrong with this Ravens team? Lamar's supposed to be like the MVP or something, and he can't even beat a divisional rival. How about that? Baltimore, I mean, Lamar, 236 yards and a pick. Had uh, only 45 yards rushing on six attempts. Just not doing enough. Mark Andrews, leading wide receiver, six receptions, 65 yards. Led the day in fantasy, too, with 12.5 points. Nothing much for him, but it's the Steelers, man. George Pickens, 26.6 fantasy points. Absolute beast. Six receptions, 130 yards, and a touchdown. Kenny Pickett, ladies and gentlemen, 224 yards and a touchdown. Improving week by week. By week, not by wheat. Um, Najee Harris, 14 rushes for 37 yards. And uh, who is it, Warren? Is it Josh Warren? It's TJ Warren. It's some Warren, the running back for the Steelers. Nine rushes for 40 yards. They get it done. Good for the Steelers. And now the Steelers are atop the AFC North. Actually tied with the Ravens 3-2. and two, But when you look at the official listing, they got the Steelers ahead. And the Steelers have a terrible points for points against ratio, 79 to 110. But you just beat the Ravens, so it doesn't even matter. They get it done. Keep on going with these 12 o'clock games as the Falcons beat the Texans. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't believe it. Falcons beat Texans 21-19. to My Texans almost got it done. I say my Texans just because I like rooting for the Texans. They're just a fun team to root for. I mean, if the Vikings play them, it'd be a free W. But when they're playing teams like the Falcons, you know I'm rooting for them. Atlanta. Desmond Ritter, 329 yards and a touchdown. Ran for 10 yards and a touchdown. Having a decent day, honestly. Desmond Ritter not looking too bad. 26 fantasy points leading the team. Kyle Pitts getting 15 fantasy points. He had um, seven catches for 87 yards. Drake London, six catches, 78 yards. Interesting performance for him. Algier, 40 yards rushing. Bijan, 46 yards rushing. Not much from either of them. This was more of a passing attack from the Falcons. 
Houston, though, C.J. Stroud, 249 yards and a touchdown. Damian Pierce ran for 66 yards. But Dalton Schultz leading the day in um, the fantasy department with 19 fantasy points. He did pretty good. Seven catches, 65 yards and a touchdown. Not enough to win, though. Texans now sitting at 2-3, and three, third place in the AFC South. As for the Falcons, don't blink. 3-2, and two, tied for second currently in the NFC South. But I consider it a three-way tie. Bucks, Falcons, Saints, as I mentioned earlier. Let's, uh, let's talk about the worst team, um, statistically, record-wise, in the league. The Panthers took on the Lions and get blown out 42-24. to Wow, we'll give it to the Lions, 4-1. and one. They're dominating the NFC North, dominating the league. And actually, in the NFC South, actually, in the NFC in general, I believe they're in second place. I believe they are. Wow, impressive stuff from the Lions. And as I've mentioned, this NFC South, Panthers 0-5. 91 points for, 144 points against, yet to get a victory. Let me tell you something, though. Adam Thielen had himself a little day, though. 27.7 fantasy points, caught 11 balls, 107 yards and a touchdown. I mean, Bryce Young was throwing the ball, 25 for 41 on completions, 247 yards, three touchdowns, two picks. He was trying his best. Chuba Hubbard out carrying Miles Sanders 9-7, out rushing him 35-32. No idea what was going on there. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean, DJ Chark, he caught a touchdown. Uh, backup Ted and Tremble caught a touchdown on his one catch. Interesting day. But let me just give it to Detroit. I'll give them their props. Had themselves a day. Jared Goff, 27 fantasy points. David Montgomery, 20 fantasy points. And Sam Laporta, 19.7 fantasy points. Love Sam Laporta. Jared Goff, 236 yards and three touchdowns. David Montgomery, 19 rushes for 109 yards and a touchdown. Josh Reynolds ran for a touchdown. Jared Goff ran for a touchdown. Jameer Gibbs didn't do anything. Uh, was he hurt? I have no idea. Reynolds actually led the day receiving four catches for 76 yards and a touchdown. But Sam Laporta with three catches for two touchdowns on 47 yards. Good for the Lions. They continue to move on, continue to look good. But, man... Just, uh, like, I don't know how the Vikings are going to catch the Lions, okay? The, the Vikings are still going to win the Super Bowl, guys. All right, it's only week five. We have a majority of the season left. We'll, we'll, we'll work out a way. Another abysmal performance by a team as the Dolphins beat the Giants 31-16. to Giants now fall to 1-4, 62 points for this team, 153 points against Ooh, almost the worst. I believe the Bears have given up more, at least in the NFC. Actually, let me check whole league. Yeah. Oh, nope. Broncos have given up way more. But yeah, Dolphins proven to 4-1 now with a game edge over the Bills. Impressive stuff. Tyreek Hill, 32 fantasy points, getting it done as always. I mean, he's a beast. Eight receptions, 181 yards, and a touchdown. Jalen Waddle even caught five balls for a touchdown. And Jeff Wilson, four catches for 52 yards. Tua, 308 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. Yeah, not much from a man. I mean, you're throwing for 300 yards, but the ratio, two to two, not so good. Devin Achani, this rookie is looking amazing. 151 yards and one touchdown. Raheem Mostert, though, 65 yards and a touchdown, not too bad. It looks like Achani and Mostert are going to split um, pretty much. I mean, of the 20, um, 23 rushing plays for the game, 11 for Achani, for most or the other two are to Tua. Looks like this will be a two-man backfield. Giants, Daniel Jones throws for 119 yards, gets hurt. Um, uh, Taylor comes in, their backup. Don't even know who that is. 
Oh, gosh. I mean, Darren Waller had eight catches for 86 yards. He was probably the best thing about this Giants team, which is whew, Giants are slowly falling apart. It is not looking good. Heading into our three, three o'clock games, I was I was feeling pretty optimistic. You know, the Vikings were going to play. I was feeling happy. My, uh, my uh, Josh Dobbs Cardinals were also playing. I love Josh Dobbs. He's so entertaining to me. But he could not get it done. The Bengals beat the Cardinals, earning their second victory of the season, 34-20. And Jamar Chase has a day. Oh, my gosh. 52.2 fantasy points. The top G, the man of the day. 15 receptions, 192 yards, three touchdowns. Jamar go off. Even Joe Burrow, 317 yards, three touchdowns. Did throw a pick. Not too shabby. Mix in, rushing for 81 yards. Decent, decent, I'll say. But, I mean... um, Arizona, Josh Dobbs, 166 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Not going to cut it. It's actually the backup uh, running back. Um, Amelia, what is it? Emilicano Demarcando, backup running back. It's 12.7 points. He rushed for 45 yards and a touchdown. And Marquise Brown caught four balls for 61 yards and a touchdown. Good for them. Even Zach Ertz ringing in a touchdown. But, yeah, Bengals now 2-3, and three, still at the bottom of the AFC North. That's for the Cardinals. I mean, 1-4. and four. I thought this team's supposed to be tanking. So, I mean, I think the Cardinals kind of want Caleb Williams. But, I mean, maybe. I don't know who's getting Caleb Williams. At this point, maybe the Vikings, maybe the Vikings need um, uh, need his uh, – maybe the Vikings need Caleb Williams. I don't know. I don't want to give up on Kirk, man. I don't think Kirk's the issue. I personally like Kirk. This The ref screwed us in this game, okay? If you guys can't tell, I'm going to talk. Actually, you know what? We're going to save the Vikings game. We're going to save it because I'm going to get all riled up. We'll talk about the Eagles and Rams game right now. Actually, Eagles beat the Rams 23-14. to Jalen Hurts doing his thing, 27.32 fantasy points, uh, 303 yards, a touchdown interception. And as always, 72 yards rushing, one touchdown. I mean, the Eagles have that just QB sneak where they literally just push Jalen Hurts into the end zone. It's, it's foolproof. It works pretty good. Dallas Goddard, 117 yards and a touchdown. A.J. Brown, 127 yards on six receptions, and they pass to Devontae Smith for one catch. Oh, my gosh. Devontae Smith had one catch, absolutely screwing me in fantasy. Jalen, I love you, and I hate you. It's a mix. DeAndre Swift, 70 yards, not much from him. Uh, As for the Rams, Matt Stafford, 222 yards and two touchdowns. Kyron William rushed for 53 yards. Cooper Cup in his return, eight receptions, 118 yards. Got 19.8 fantasy points. And Puka Nakua doing his thing, 20.1 fantasy points, caught seven targets for 71 yards and a touchdown. Even Tutu Atwell getting a touchdown on his two catches. You know they're doing their thing. Rams now 2-3. and three. Eagles, one of the two undefeated teams at 5 and oh. 141 points for, 104 points against this Eagles team. Looking pretty good. Next up, we have the Jets and the Broncos, and the Jets put up 31 points, beat the Broncos 31-21. to This Jets team, man, they got two wins now, two and three, not even the worst team in the AFC East. 93 points for, 105 points against, not too bad of a ratio. Um, as for the Broncos, um, oof, Broncos, ugh. yeah, Broncos are one of the worst teams in the league. Might even be second to worst, third to worst, one and four. Giving up 181 points. This uh, this de- this defense is so bad. This Broncos defense is so bad. But let me talk about these offenses. Russell Wilson, um, 196 yards, two touchdowns, ran for 49 yards. Not a bad day. I just couldn't string it together. Um, Jordan McLaughlin, though, I mean, rushed for 68 yards, caught 
three catches for 21 yards and a touchdown. Had himself a little day. Might even earn a starting spot on one of my teams. I'm not even going to lie. Um, Samiji Perrin actually leads the day with 73 yards receiving. Jerry Judy had 50. Corlin Sutton, one catch, 13 yards. He had another wide receiver screwing me over. Let's give some props to this Jets offense. You know, I mean, Zach Wilson, 199 yards and a pick. Not the most impressive, but Brees Hall on the ground, 177 yards and a touchdown. Just an absolute killer ran through this Broncos team. Clearly, they have no run defense. I'm actually going to take note of that, that the Broncos have no run D. They got no run D. They're like that one... Um, they're, you know, you always want, when you're trying to pick up a girl, I have no experience with this. This is actually coming from a funny video I watched. And, you know, when they got the one friend who's blo blocking, you know, the girl you're trying to talk to. They got that one big friend trying to stop you from talking to them. That's the opposite of what the Broncos have. The Broncos, there's no one stopping you from going to get your girl. And unfortunately for the Broncos, that girl is the end zone. And that's points being scored against them. So, yeah, Jets go off. Um, yeah, good for uh, good for the Jets. This Jets team dealing with the loss of Aaron Rodgers, looking to uh, do something this year. Who knows? Two and three. Interesting to see where they go. And yeah, I've been dropping little hints this whole time. The Vikings game. Yeah, they you know it happened. It happened. We're we're one and four. You know, I'm not gonna say I'm panicking yet. We're not the worst team in the FC North either. Okay, we're we're in third. All right, the Bears are still below us. We have 110 points for, 122 points against. That's only a minus 12 ratio. That's not too bad. The Packers are only plus four, and they're about to be minus a lot when the Raiders run through them. But, man, oh, my gosh. We just, the ref screwed us that final play. I mean, Willie Sneed was just a hazard that whole game. Just was not doing, he, was just, he kept messing up. Should have kicked him out of the game. Oh, man. Travis Kelsey, 22.7 fantasy points. Uh, 67 yards and a touchdown did good. Rasheed Rice, four catches, 33 yards and a touchdown. Good for the Chiefs. Isaiah Pacheco, 16 rushes for 55 yards. Got a touchdown. And Patty the Batty Mahomes. Not not a pimblet. Patrick Mahomes. Those are 281 yards and two touchdowns. My sweet, sweet Vikings. I mean, Kirk, 284 yards and two touchdowns. Did decent. Masson, did not doing much. 26 yards rushing. Addison, our leading um, wide receiver, six catches for 64 yards and touchdown. JJ, only three catches for 28 yards. Did get injured. TJ Hawkinson, five catches, 51 yards. Osborne even had five catches, 49 yards. We even had Powell getting four catches, 43 yards. I mean, all the wide receivers were at work. Oh, man, we, we were so close. I mean, we, we rallied in the fourth. We got a touchdown. We just couldn't finish, man. We just couldn't finish. You were like, I never, I'm not going to make a finishing reference, but... You know, I think that might be my uh, thumbnail or whatever for my Instagram post, me burning a Vikings jersey because this is disastrous. But let me tell you guys something. Let me tell you all something, okay? Lions are 4-1. and one. I don't know if we can catch them, but if the Packers lose tonight, then we'll only be a game behind them. And we're yet to lose to any divisional team. We got the Bears coming up. That's a W, all right? We can take these Bears team. This Bears suck. We're going to send Justin Fields to freaking Alcatraz or something. We're going to send him out. Actually, yeah, we're going to ship him to Alcatraz. And then we're going to go down to San Francisco, and we're going to visit him in Alcatraz when we beat Christian McCaffrey, Brock Purdy, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, and the 49ers. We're doing this, guys. All right, the Vikings are rallying from here. We've had enough of this. We've had enough of people calling us frauds, people saying we, we, we suck. You know what? We're going to rally. We're going to get it done. Vikings are going to come back. I still might burn a couple jerseys along the way. Speaking of the 49ers, they had the Sunday night football game, and my goodness— they manhandled the Cowboys. 42-10. to 10. Absolutely crazy. 
Highest Cowboy player for fantasy score, Turpin with 9.6 points. I mean, this 49ers team shut them down. George Kittle, 27 fantasy points, three catches, three touchdowns, 67 yards. I mean, George Kittle had a day at Uke, four catches, 58 yards. Even even Drew Sekic, I mean, the fullback, getting a catch for a touchdown. And Christian McCaffrey, 51 yards rushing for a touchdown, getting it done. Debo even doing a little bit of stuff. Brock Purdy, 252 yards, four touchdowns. I mean, Brock Purdy is so good. 49ers defense, 18 fantasy points. I mean, Cowboys had one touchdown in the second quarter. Kevontae Turpin caught a 26-yard pass, and after that, nothing. I mean, Dak throws three picks, only 153 yards, actually gets benched to end the game. Tony Pollard only ran the ball eight times for 29 yards. C.D. Lamb held only four catches for 49 yards. This 49ers team is absolutely ballistic. They are so talented. They're undefeated, 5-0, and definitely going to win their division. You know, as, as for the Cowboys, I mean, this kind of awkward. You're now 3-2, and two, two games behind the Eagles. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but should be interesting. You know what? I think this 49ers team could go all the way. 49ers-Eagles matchup in the uh, – for the um, NFC Championship. That's my prediction at this moment. Until the Vikings do something and rally, we have to make the playoffs before I can predict you guys to win the Super Bowl. Heading into tonight's matchup, the 2-2 uh, two and two Packers. Packers are currently number two in the NFC North. We'll be taking on the Raiders. Raiders are currently third in the AFC West at 1-3. and three. 62 points for 101 points against. You know what? I'm changing my pick from the Packers to the Raiders. I already mentioned that. Riding with, uh, I don't even know, riding with Las Vegas. I don't know how the Raiders' chance work, but, you know, I hope they can get it done. I really need the Packers to lose, but uh, we'll see what happens. For week five, pretty decent. I thought week four was more fun because the um, Vikings won on my 21st birthday. Anyways, we'll move on from football. I mean, actually, let me touch on my fantasy football teams real quick. Uh, uh, some stuff I need to happen. I mean, I'm going to lose. I was 4-0 in my random 12-man league. Now I'm going to be 4-1. It's unfortunate. In my 10-man, $20 buy-in, I'm sadly going to lose unless Daniel Carlson manages to outscore Romeo Dobbs by plus 9. I need to get 9 points and then outscore Romeo Dobbs. So that's just never going to happen. In my Cato Boys League, I am up by 47 points. My uh, friend Jaden has uh, the... Um, uh, Jacoby Myers, he is the Raiders wide receiver in tonight. If Jacoby gets 47 points, there's just no shot I watch football again. Just embarrassing. And in my six-man all-star league, I am now 0-5. I'm like the Panthers in that league. Some leagues I'm like some leagues I'm like the Lions. Some leagues I'm like the Panthers. Some leagues I'm like the Jets. You know, it's a week-by-week thing. My um, top performer, probably on my uh, Cato Boy League team, I mean, Tyree Kill, 32 points. San Francisco defense, 18 points. Only the good things about that. But, yeah, fantasy football, been all right this year. It's hard to manage four teams, especially when I'm trying to make ballsy moves and I keep making bad moves. It's kind of comical. But, hey, that's uh, that's week five of the NFL for you. I uh, I say we give you guys a little surprise topic. Here, you know, We've talked about NFL for a while, went over Dan White's contender series, some other UFC stuff. I think we gave you guys a little surprise topic, not a huge one, just a minor one. So I'm going to go do something real quick. Stick around. I'll be back in a flash. And I am like the flash because I'm already back. I don't really watch DC, so I don't know what the flash's name is. 
I know Flash Thompson, Spider-Man, but I mean, I don't know too much about all that. Actually, that reminds me, I gotta watch the new Loki show. I, uh, I know it's out on Disney+. Plus. I believe I still have Disney+, Plus or something. But yeah, definitely gotta check that out. But yes, today's surprise topic, a little interesting one. Taking it out of our conspiracies book, as long as we still have it before I return it to the library. Last week we talked about the JFK and RFK assassinations. This week we're going to be talking about Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X assassinations. Just a little blurb about these two, I mean, two two um, monumental figures in the civil rights movement of the 60s, both assassinated, both killed. Let's dive into it. Give you guys a, something to ponder, something to think about, something surprising, if you will. On April 3rd, 1968, Martin Luther King Jr., a recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize, the unquestioned moral leader of the American civil rights movement, an increasingly vocerous opponent of the Vietnam War, and a tireless crusader for economic justice, delivered a speech at the world headquarters of the Church of God in Christ in Memphis, Tennessee, where he had come to support the city's striking black sanitation workers, members of Local uh, 1733 of the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. Um, that was their foundation, AFSCME. At the closing of his speech, he mentioned the bomb threat that had delayed his flight from Atlanta to Memphis. This is what Martin said. And then I got to Memphis, and some began to talk about the threats that were out. What would happen to me from some of our sick white brothers? Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now, because I've been to the mountaintop, and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will, and he's allowed me to go up to the mountains, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land, and I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Wow. Sounds like a, sounds like Moses or something. The next afternoon at 6.01 p.m., Martin Luther King Jr. was shot and killed by a slug from a high-powered rifle while he was standing on the balcony of his room at the Lorraine Motel. Two months later, James Earl Ray, a lifelong felon who had escaped from Missouri State Prison a year before, was arrested for the murder at Heathrow Airport in London and extradited to Tennessee. Though Ray would plead guilty in return for a 99-year sentence, he would not serve his time in silence. Almost immediately, he recanted his confession, tried to change his guilty plea, and began petitioning for a trial. In 1977, he escaped from prison and led authorities on a three-day manhunt. In his petitions for a new trial and his conversations with reporters, he spoke about a figure known to him only as Raoul, who had recruited him as a smuggler when he was a fugitive in Canada and who later paid him to acquire, but not to fire, the rifle that killed King. That rifle, with Ray's incriminating fingerprints on it, had been wrapped in a blanket along with a radio labeled with his prison serial number and left on a Memphis sidewalk. Was Ray that stupid or was someone setting him up? Then there was the question of how he had managed the logistics of his escape to Europe and where he had gotten the money to finance his extensive travels before and after the shooting. Granted, he had managed to cross the Canadian border after he escaped from prison in 1967, but he'd hardly been the priority for the law enforcement than there was after the assassinations. And oh my gosh, guys, I believe we actually did a segment on this a bit ago in one of our last books about the assassination because I recognize the name Raul. That's, what that's what's pondering me. So if you guys want to go back and check out any other past episodes of the Surprise Jab podcast because I'm trying to remember if 
what episode we might have done the, one of those on. Because sometimes I put in the title, sometimes I don't. So, I mean, it could have been anywhere from episode 24, 26, 27, something like that. But I recognize, I recognize the name Raul, unless it's connect connected to a different type of person. But um, if not, then let's continue. J. Edgar Hoover and Martin Luther King were bitter enemies. Many of King's former inmates took it for granted that the FBI had participated in his murder. I've always believed that the government was part of a conspiracy, either directly or indirectly, to assassinate him, Jesse Jackson declared. You have to remember, Andrew Young explained, that this was a time when the politics of assassination was acceptable in this country. Andrew Young goes on, it was during the period just before Alande's murder, I think. It's naive to assume these institutions were not capable of doing the same thing at home or to say each one of these deaths, King and the two Kennedy assassinations, who we had mentioned in a past episode, that both of these were not insulated uh, incidences, but a single government conspiracy. And that basically saying that like not a single assassin killed them both, but it had to do with government policy. Suspicions were already festering about the assassination of King's rival Malcolm X, Three men, Talmage Hare, Norman 3X Butler, and Thomas 15X Johnson were arrested and convicted for the crime, but only Hare confessed, and he insisted that his alleged accomplices were innocent. Some interesting names, having X's in your name. FBI documents indicate that undercover agents from both its own COINTELPRO counterintelligence program and the NYPD secret BOSS Bureau of Special Services squad had been infiltrated into the Nation of Islam and Malcolm X's own breakaway organization of Afro-American unity. Some were present in the Abaddon Ballroom in New York City on February 24, 1965, when the assassination took place. If they weren't involved in Malcolm X's assassination, they clearly did a poor job of protecting him. Many believe that the assassination was planned at high levels in the nation of Islam. After Malcolm X had publicly criticized Elijah Muhammad and broken with his movement, Minister Louis Farrakhan, director of the Nation of Islam's Harlem Mosque, had written angrily in Muhammad Speaks, uh, um, a paper, that the die is set and Malcolm shall not escape. Such a man as Malcolm is worthy of death. Well, there's, your, there's, some, there's some evidence right there. Though Farrakhan had assiduously denied any overt involvement in the assassination, in May of 2000 on CBS's 60 Minutes, he actually apologized to Malcolm X's daughter, Atala Shabazz, for his inflammatory rhetoric. I may have been complicit in words that I spoke leading up to uh, February 21st, he said. I acknowledge and regret that any word that I have said caused the loss of life of a human being. Yeah, right, trying to cover his tracks. The House Select Committee on Assassinations would consider the Martin Luther King Jr. case at great length. Though its 1979 report exonerated the U.S. government, it nonetheless declared that the committee believes, on the basis of the circumstantial evidence available to it, that there is likelihood that James Earl Ray assassinated Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as a result of a conspiracy. Ray and his brothers, the committee's investigators suspected, had been motivated by the $50,000 bounty that a group of St. Louis-based white supremacists had placed on King's head and had probably received material assistance from them. I don't know, man. If you have a committee created by the government that was supposed to have supposedly killed these people, then that's just suspicious that you can cover it up from the inside. Assisted by the musician, conspiracy theorist, and tax protester Frederick Tupper Saucy III, Ray produced an autobiography called Tennessee Waltz, The Making of a Political Prisoner, which came out in 1987, which was expanded and released five years later as 
who killed Martin Luther King Jr., the true story of the alleged assassin, in 1997. In the same year, Ray gained a powerful ally in the King family, Martin Luther King's son, Dexter, who actually met with Ray in prison and asked him if he had killed his father. When Ray replied that he hadn't, King said, I believe you, and my family believes you, and we will do everything in our power to see you prevail. See, I recognize this. We definitely talked about this, or I read this on my own. I recognize all this. Ray's lawyer, William Pepper, author of Orders to Kill, The Truth Behind the Murder of Martin Luther King, which came out in 1995, would bring a civil suit on behalf of the King family against Lloyd Jowers, the owner of Jim's Grill, a restaurant on the ground floor of the rooming house, which Ray had allegedly fired the fatal shot. Interesting. Jowers claimed to have been offered $100,000 to participate in the assassination. His co-conspirators, he said, include high-ranking figures in the government such as President Lyndon Johnson, the military, the mafia. The real shooter, he claimed, was a police officer. Memphis jury awarded the King family the symbolic sum of $100, but after its own investigation, the Justice Department decided not to bring criminal charges. Questions and speculation may have always surrounded the assassination of Dr. King and other national tragedies. The report it issued in June 2000 concluded, but it said, Our investigation of these most recent allegations, as well as several exhaustive previous official investigations, found no reliable evidence that Dr. King was killed by conspirators who framed James Earl Ray. Nor have any of the conspiracy theories advanced in the last 30 years survived critical examination. Okay, but this guy who worked at the restaurant is saying that President Lyndon Johnson, the military, the mafia were doing it. I low-key rock with that statement. Sadly, Jowers died in 2000, and on April 5, 2002, the New York Times reported that the Reverend Ronald Denton Wilson had issued a statement that his father, Henry Clay Wilson, had led a conspiracy to kill Martin Luther King. My father was the main guy, said Mr. Wilson, who was 61, of Keystone Heights, north of Gainesville. It wasn't a racist thing. He thought Martin Luther King was connected with communism, and he wanted to get him out of the way. Mr. Wilson provided no evidence to support his Lame. And that's just a recurring thing, ladies and gentlemen. There's rarely any evidence when it comes to these conspiracies. And sadly for this case, we might never know who Raul was, who actually killed them, okay? Or even who killed, um, uh, what's his face, Malcolm X. But man, it's always interesting to look back and analyze those. I don't know how you guys feel. Let me know how you guys feel in comments, DM me personally, post stuff. I'm always interested to hear other people's perspective on this. I know it's been some time since all of this has went down, but... Man, it's still super fascinating to look at. I do have to return this book I've been reading, Cults, Conspiracies, and Secret Societies, um, by Arthur Goldwag. So I think I might end with a big shebang and find one of the more popular um, ones in here, maybe the Freemasons, Illuminati, Skull and Bones, New World Order, and try and get you that one in a big Thursday episode of the Surprise Jam podcast, which uh, I always love making episodes of this. It's always fun. It's a nice little, nice little side um, side hobby if you will. I believe that's the correct term, a coin term of sorts. But um, yeah, that's your surprise topic. I hope you guys were surprised by it. I was certainly surprised. But now it is time for my favorite part of every episode, when I can do it. That is either the recap or the preview of a UFC event. And this time we're going to be reviewing UFC Fight Night Dawson versus Green, otherwise known as UFC Vegas 80, the 80th event held at the UFC Apex. Certainly an interesting event. Certainly interesting. On the prelims, I believe I went one for three, two. I believe I went two and three on the prelims. 
I go three and two on the main card for uh, six and what's what was my math? Um, I think my math's off. What am I five and five for the whole card? Because um, if you guys didn't know, Ian Kudalaba versus Felipe Linz fell out just before the event began. I believe um, Ion got hurt or something or pulled out of the fight. But man, very unfortunate. But yes, we do go three and two officially for the event. Uh, all for um, main card predictions. On the year 2023, we are 116 and 64. Correct picks, incorrect picks. And all time, we're 487 and 341. So we're up 146 correct main card picks since 2020, which honestly should probably be higher, but we all start somewhere. So let's dive in to this uh, event, go over every fight, and I'll give you my thoughts. Kicking off the prelims, kicking off the night, if you will, we had J.J. Aldrich take on Montana De La Rosa. J.J. Aldrich getting it done by unanimous decision. Good for her. Now, I thought Montana could get it done, but clearly not. Montana De La Rosa now on a three-fight losing streak. Not looking good for her. She uh, Actually, three-fight losing streak and has actually only had one win since 2020. Yikes. As for JJ Aldrich, you know, a little two-fight winning streak now after being on a two-fight losing streak. Good for her. Good for you, JJ. Getting it done. And I mean, I didn't really watch the prelims for this card, but Montana outstruck JJ by one in uh, round one. Uh, JJ had 22 seconds of control time. You know, Montana actually looks like outstruck her the whole fight. Total strike 70 to 66. Significant strike 67 to 65. But I don't know what happened. Must have just been damage or something. J.J. Aldrich gets the victory. Not much to say here. Typical boring fight. Moving on, we had Ogonquin, the Mongolian murderer, taking on Johnny Munoz. He gets the unanimous decision victory here. Very competitive matchup, 29-28s across the board as the final score. Round one, Johnny went full grappling three for five for just under three minutes of control time. Algonquin outstrikes him 23 to 10. Heading into round two, same thing, but this time it's actually Algonquin who lands a takedown and gets three and a half minutes of control time. Outstrikes him 51 to 5. Domination for Algonquin. And in round three, the Mongolian murderer drops Johnny Munoz, gets on top of him, gets two minutes of control time, ends the fight strong. And how about that? Algonquin gets a win, snaps his little, uh, actually, I shouldn't say snaps, comes back from a nasty knockout loss back in June. He's now 3-3 three and three in the UFC, 3-1 and one his last four. As for Johnny Munoz, two-fight losing streak, you're now 2-4 and four in the UFC. I don't know where he goes from here. But yeah, Johnny Munoz, gosh, he laid in four takedowns, had three submission attempts, but yet, you know, when you go when you go wrestle heavy, you got to land the takedowns, and if you're not landing them, you're not going to go anywhere. Continuing the string of just typical, typical freaking um, uh, boring fights to open up the card. I mean, Vanessa Demopoulos beats Kanako Murata by unanimous decisions, 29-28 across the board. I mean... Total stats for the fight, 86 total strikes in favor of Vanessa to Kanako. Five for six on takedowns for 10 minutes of control time for Kanako. So I don't know how Vanessa won, especially when someone gets 10 minutes of control time. But round one, Vanessa Outstrucker was taken down two times for a minute and 45 seconds of control time for Kanako. You know, Vanessa round two controlled for four minutes and 11 seconds. Round three, Vanessa controlled for four minutes and 15 seconds. So I don't actually know how she won this fight, but hey, you know, I 
got to got to watch it to see it. So I guess I'm not a full expert if I'm not watching every single freaking event that comes along, especially down to the prelims. But I saw the I saw the main card, so I can speak on the main card. But as for this, Vanessa gets it done. Good for her. Snapping a little uh, loss she had to Carolina. She's now four and one. Her last five. As for Kanako, two fight losing streak. Wonder where she'll go from here. And finally, we had our first finish of the evening. By the way, there were four finishes of the ten fights. Every one of them got performance bonuses. So shout out to Nate Manez, who knocks out Matus Mendonca in four minutes and 40 seconds in round number one. Got on tap on the ground, was landing some punches, getting it done. Outstrikes him 103 to 9. Oh, my gosh. In a four minute and 40 second um, spree, Nate Manez snaps a little two-fight losing streak. Now he's now sitting at four and two in the UFC. Good win over Matus Mendonca. As for Matus, two-fight losing streak now. Not too shabby. And those have been his only two losses in his career. Don't get me wrong, this kid's 24 years old, so he could always leave the UFC and bounce back. But man, good win for you, Nate. Don't know what's next for you at flyweight, but uh, there's always options. More, more options at flyweight for you than at bantamweight, that's for certain. And into our final prelim, wasn't supposed to be, but ended up being, we had number 15 ranked woman's strawweight, Carolina Kowalski, taking on Diana Belbita. This was a huge fight for Carolina. Defending her ranked spot, and gosh darn it, she gets it done. Now on a four-fight winning streak, she beats Diana Belbita by unanimous decision. I mean, significant strikes, 141 to 99. Total strikes, 155 to 108. Carolina got one takedown. Diana got two. So it was more of a striking battle. Carolina outstrikes her in round one, outstrikes her in round two, and outstrikes her strongly in round three. Shout out to you, Carolina. Good for you. A little four-fight winning streak. I love it. Deanna Belbita, you know, she's now, to, what is she now? One and two. Her last uh, three and in the, her UFC career, she's now two and four. So, ugh, not too pretty, Diana. You are probably going to be on, uh, you're either going to be cut or you're just going to be on the UFC fight night prelims. That's all I got. But uh, as for Carolina now, just got a win at 15th now in the women's strawweight division. I mean, Michelle Watterson just lost bad, so I say Carolina moves up to the number 14 spot in the women's top 15. And honestly, let's give her a fight against someone like Angela Hill, Amanda Hebus, someone like them. Yeah, I love it. I love it, Carolina. Good for you. And that rounded out our prelims. Well, let's get into the main card, the five main card fights. We kicked it off, and I told you on the pre-show this was going to be 50-50 decision victory. And Bill Algeo wins all three rounds against Alexander Hernandez. And Alexander Hernandez looked pretty, pretty rough in this one. I mean, round one, Bill outstrikes him 27 to 16, just a casual round. I mean, round two comes out, actually drops him, drops him with a punch, outstrikes him 52 to 28. And round three, even landed a takedown for just two seconds of control time, outstruck him. I mean, total, total stats 119 total strikes to 76. And he gets a knockdown. Good win for Bill. Now a little two-fight winning streak for him. Four and one. His last five out. Bill's been looking good. Alexander Hernandez has yet to win back-to-back -back fights since 2018. He's gone win-loss, win-loss, loss, win, loss, win, loss now for many uh, years. So will Alexander be back? I don't know. This guy was supposed to be the next big thing and has now turned out to be nothing. As for Bill, you know, I like it. I like um I like you, Bill. You performed very well. And when it comes to the featherweight division, 
I could potentially see you fighting Alex Caceres or the loser of Edson Barbosa and Sodik Yusuf. I like both of those fights for Bill El Senor Perfecto Al Jo. Good win, good win for you, Bill. I'm happy for you, man. Head into our second finish of the night, earning himself 50k. Drew Dober takes Ricky Glenn to the boxing clinic. Oh my goodness! Round one knockout in two and a half minutes. 30 total strikes to five. I mean, Drew Dober was locked in, dropped him in some heavy blows. I mean, Ricky Glenn did not belong in there. Honestly, I think Ricky should retire. This is a huge bounce back win for Drew Dober. Drew Dober coming off that nasty knockout loss to Matt Favola. It has now been one, two, three, four, five straight fights since Drew Dober last went the distance. He last went the distance in June of 2021. Actually, I mean, his UFC career, a majority of the time, he's not going the distance. But he's now 4-1 since uh, 2022, 1-1 this year. You know, not too shabby. Ricky Glenn, though, on a little two-fight losing streak, three-fight not winning streak. I mean, you know, this is Ricky Glenn's been in the UFC since 2016, so he's been around a minute. Might be time to hang it up. As for Drew, freaking looked good tonight, man. And let me just tell you, this is pretty fascinating is that Drew Dober's only loss is to the number 14 ranked, um, only loss in his last um, series of fights, is to Matt Frivola, who's currently ranked number 14. And his last, his second to last win over Bobby Green, who he knocked out cold, Bobby Green's going to probably be the number 10 <laughs> lightweight come the up rankings update on Tuesday, October t 10th. So, Drew Dober, I don't know what to do with you. I think Drew Dober should maybe fight someone like Diego Fajera. Maybe Jalen Turner. I really, I really think we should get Drew Dober in the rankings. He looked good. As for Ricky, as I mentioned, it might be time to hang it up. I'm just saying, Ricky. I'm just saying. How old's Ricky? Ricky is 34. So yeah, might be time. But Drew Dober looking beautiful. Honestly, he looks so young for being an old dad. I love, I love Drew. Next up, we went to the welterweight division where Joaquin Buckley gets a unanimous decision victory over Alex Morono. Surprised he didn't get a finish, but, you know, he still performed well. It, it was a gritty battle, though. It was a gritty battle. Round one, Alex Morono actually um, outstruck him by two insignificant strikes. Joaquin actually outstruck him by four in total strikes, but landed two takedowns for 35 seconds of control time. Probably won him the round. Round two, though, I mean, Joe Keen out significant struck him 18 to 15, 27 seconds of control time. Alex Morono did have more total strikes, 25 to 18, but Joe Keen was just looking a bit better. And round three ended very strong, 45 total strikes to 17. I mean, Alex had one takedown, but only at 13 seconds of control time. Joe Keen Buckley was locked in, was technical, and gets the victory. Joe Keen Buckley now a little two-fight winning streak, 2-0 now in 2023, called for a fight night main event against Kevin Holland. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know how I feel about Kevin Holland, but I do like the call-out. I mean, the first man to beat him in the UFC was Kevin Holland. I'd say we could run that back on a pay-per-view or on a fight night. Cole main, I don't know if that's main event, but actually after they made this main event, they'll make anything. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. Joaquin Buckley always calling his shot. As for Alex, the great white Morono, he's now 1-2 in, in his last three fights, but you know... Well, the losses to Joaquin Buckley and Santiago Ponzinibbio are not too bad. I mean, his other UFC losses, Anthony Pettis, Chaos Williams. I mean, this guy's fought some pretty good competition. I'm sure he'll be back. As for who he's going to fight in the welterweight division, so many options. I can't even pick someone. I wish both these guys luck. But good win for Joaquin Buckley. 
skin in the co-main event with one of my favorite performances of the night as Joe Pfeiffer beats Abdul Razak Alsan by round two arm triangle submission. Be Joe Pfeiffer. The, oh my gosh, it continues. The train continues. The hype train of Joe Pfeiffer continues. And he gets 50K. Let's talk about it. So round one, Joe Pfeiffer outlanding him on the feet, landing two takedowns. Was wary of the power, though, of Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, but a clear skill discrepancy in favor of Joe Pfeiffer. Round two, Joe lands a takedown, gets into position, locks up an arm triangle from side control. Joe Pfeiffer was locked in. I mean, just not much to say here. Abdul outclassed by Joe Pfeiffer through two rounds and submitted in the second. Joe Pfeiffer, 12-2 and two now professionally, 4-0 and oh in the UFC. Well, he's actually 3-0, and oh, but he won on the Contender Series. So I guess if you can if you include his contender series performance from July 2022, he'd be 4-0. But officially in the UFC, he's 3-0. Two performance bonuses, three finishes. He's a killer man. As for Abdul Razak Al Hassan, you're now actually Abdul Razak Al Hassan is now 12 and 6 professionally. All six losses have came in the UFC. One and two his last three fights. Two and two his last four fights. Who knows what's next for Abdul Razak Al Hassan? But Joe Pfeiffer, man, looking good. I was, um, I think he called out um, Roman Kopilov, or someone suggested he should fight Roman Kopilov. That's excellent matchmaking, sadly. But both of those guys, I really want to see fight upwards in the rankings. So I don't know how that's going to. I don't know how it's going to work out. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, uh, moving on to the main event. I was. Sorry, I was getting a little distracted there. I got a text from someone. I'm in the group chat asking about uh, uh, picks I do. Because I do picks with two of my buddies for uh, money every week. And yeah, I assume I'm going to be told that I have to pay my share because I did terrible in NFL picks this week. And I'll tell you what, I missed on this main event for the UFC. I've just been having some misses this week. Bobby Green took on Grant Dawson. By the way, Grant Dawson was the number 10 ranked lightweight so impressive. He'd been looking so good. Bobby Green knocks him out cold in 33 seconds. It was absolutely crazy. I couldn't believe it. I believe it. It was like, I don't even know if I was fully watching. It just was like, boom, Bobby Green hits him. Follow-up punches, follow-up punches. That's that. Bobby Green. Now a little two-fight winning streak. Both performance bonuses. Finishes now of Tony Ferguson and Grant Dawson. Bobby Green, a stud. As for Grant Dawson, this snaps. This snaps a crazy unbeaten streak. I don't know what his win streak was, but I do know he was undefeated in the UFC. 8-0 eight, eight, eight no with one draw. Tough loss for Grant Dawson. But man, Bobby Green just knocked off the number 10 guy in the lightweight division. So where can I put these guys in the rankings? So Grant was 10. He'll move down. But Bobby Green, do we put Bobby Green over Diego Ferreira, Matt Favola, Hinal Makano, Jalen Turner, Rafael Dos Anjos? I say yes. I say we put him over those guys. And Bobby Green had an excellent call-out of Dan Hooker, who's ranked now at number 9. I say we make that fight, man. Bobby Green, looking good. Not much to say, man. When you knock him out in 33 seconds, there's not much to uh, not much to go over when you're uh, not much to cover. Bobby, Bobby Green, impressive stuff. I love it. That's what's next for Grant Dawson. Probably Hinato Moicano, if I'm being honest, or Matt Frivola. Either of those guys, or Diego Ferreira even. Someone in the bottom 15, but, man, that's a tough loss for you. Grant Dawson asked for Bobby Green, one of the better stories of the year. And how about how he starts this year? He gets knocked out by Drew Dober in December. In April, has a no contest against Jared Gordon in a fight he was winning. In July, comes back, 
destroys Tony Ferguson, submits him with six seconds left, comes back, gets his second UFC main event, and knocks out a 20-1 fighter in 33 seconds. Bobby Green wins the night, and he gets 50K. Give him his bonus, Dana. I love it. Pretty decent fight night. I mean, I was hoping I'd do better on picks, but hey, Bill Algeo surprising me, and Bobby Green definitely surprising me. Happy for all the fighters. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the rankings adjust. I, I do think Bobby Green should be ranked number 10, but we'll see how the matchmakers agree. And yeah, that'll do it for um, uh, the UFC Vegas 80, the recap of it. We look ahead to UFC Vegas 81 as Sodiq Youssef takes on Edson Barbosa. Sodiq is currently the number 11 ranked featherweight in the world. Edson, number 13. Also got a good women's flyweight match between Jeff Maya and Viviana Rujo. Bantamweight fight between Jonathan Martinez and Adrian Yanez. And at middleweight, Andre Petrovsky steps down short notice to take on Michelle Pereira in the middleweight clash. That should be a really good one. We'll be covering all of that Thursday on the podcast. But I mean, yeah, next weekend's card currently up to, I believe, 12 fights. Hopefully no more are lost. And then after that, it's UFC 294, baby. They're the biggest events of the year. I'm pumped for it. Well, it'll be interesting to see how it all goes. But yeah, this was a nice little fun episode talking about UFC. Final episode of Dan White's Contender Series. Week 5 of the NFL. A little surprise topic. All sorts of good stuff. So yeah. I'll let you guys know how uh, everything is going on social media wise. I mean, follow me on any of the socials. You can search up my name, Zach Ruger. Find out for everything. I gotta, I gotta find a place to live next year. I gotta work out how to run social media for a company, and I even gotta perform my role as director of operations for the marketing club. They're actually having me have responsibilities now. I thought I would just take attendance every class. So that, that's uh, I'd say it's unfortunate, but it should be expected when you get voted into a role. So I'll deal with all that. And, yeah, we'll be back with all sorts of uh, UFC news, NFL news, and all sorts of surprising topics here on the Surprise Jab Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, have an amazing week. Kick its butt. Stay blessed. Thank you. <laughs>